You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Last week we talked about gospel freedom. Um, We talked about the fact that Christ has set us free to love and serve one another. This is what he has done. Well, so the next question becomes, how does this get lived out? How do I live out this freedom? And that's the question that Paul is going to answer this morning. So there was a missionary in Africa, and he'd been there for quite some time, and he finally got electricity running into his village. And the first thing that he did was he ran electricity to his hut, snaked a cable up in through the roof, and ran it down into the middle of the room, and he hung a light bulb. Well, a week or so later, some men from another village came to visit him. They knew this missionary. And when they came, they went into his hut with him, And the first thing that he did was he turned on the light bulb and they were absolutely enamored. They'd never seen a light bulb before, never seen the effects of electricity. Well, so one of these men at some point asked the missionary, could I have a light bulb? He thought, why not? So he gave him a light bulb. Man took it back to his village with him. Well, so the next week, the missionary is going to visit these men in their village First person that greets him when he enters the village is that man. And he says, you have to come to my hut. And so the missionary went into the hut with him, walks in, and the first thing that he sees is the light bulb tied to a string hanging from the ceiling. And the man looked at the missionary with this look of concern on his face and explained to him, I can't get mine to glow or shine like yours. And so, of course, the missionary began explaining to him, the light bulb actually doesn't make itself glow. You've got to connect it to the power. And I hope that you can see the ridiculously obvious spiritual implications of this story. This is a lot of uh, what Jesus said in John 15. And I, I want us to start there this morning because Jesus lays the foundation for where Paul's going to go. Now, Jesus doesn't use the illustration of a light bulb and electricity, obviously. He talks about something else. Look there with me, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here's what I want you to take note of most as we move on from this. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, bear fruit so that you can be my disciples. He says, bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In order to bear much fruit, 
we have to be connected to the vine. Once you chop off the branch off of a grapevine, it's not going to grow any more grapes. It's done. All right. It's got to stay connected to the vine in order to bear fruit for Christ. We've got to stay connected to Christ. Well, Paul's going to take this a step further this morning, and he's going to tell us that in order to bear fruit, that we have to learn to walk by the spirit. We've got to learn to walk by the spirit. And when we do, when gospel freedom has come into our life, we have been set free to love and serve one another. When this happens and we begin to walk in the spirit, we develop what we're going to call gospel character. What does this look like? Well, let's find out. This is what Paul talks about at the end of Galatians chapter 5. So look with me. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. This word here, walk, is a word in the Greek called peripatite or peripatite. And uh, you know good and well, I don't come in here very often throwing Greek around. I just don't see any point, unless it's significant or important. And this happens to be. So here's this word, peripatite. Well, why is it significant? If you've ever seen a picture of Aristotle, and I don't mean photograph, obviously, drawing, painting, or whatever. You know, there's not any, like, drawings of Aristotle where he's just standing there. It's just him or whatever. It's always him with a horde of, like, young men around him following him. These are his students. Well, Aristotle's students were called peripatetics. And the reason for that is because they followed their teacher around. You ever seen those gnat farms that just, you know, you don't know how they're doing it, but they're all together. That's the way it was with Aristotle. All right. So what Paul is saying here is that to walk by the spirit using this specific word means that we follow our teacher around. And if we follow Jesus around, we are not very easily going to get sidetracked in sin. So Paul says, if we're submitting to the spirit, then we will not gratify the flesh. If you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Going on, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. Paul's explaining here that there's a battle going on. But as much as he wants us to know there's a battle going on, he also is wanting us to understand where this battle is being engaged. The battle is actually not out there. The battle is not in or against the world. The battle is in here. And I don't mean in here, hopefully. It's in here. The battle is raging within, in the flesh. And Paul speaks so powerfully to this. I want you to take a look with me in Romans Only this time we're not going to Romans chapter 8, as we have a hundred times during this series. Romans chapter 7. Take a look in Romans chapter 7. Paul gives a very, very powerful description of this battle that's going on and where it's taking place. In Romans 7.21, Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, 
Evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You know what Paul's saying here? I I hunger and thirst to walk in the spirit, to obey God. And every time I do though, it's like one step behind me. I can still feel the flesh saying, oh, but Paul, don't you want to go this way? Don't you want to just walk over here? The war is constant. It's going on. It's raging within me. So much so that look what he says next. Verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus will deliver me from this. But until that day he comes that we sang about just moments ago, this war is going to continue to go on within me. And it's important to understand where the war is being waged. Why? Well, hang with me on this, but if you show up at the wrong battlefield, you're probably not going to win the fight, are you? No, you're not. And in fact, you may even wind up fighting the wrong battle. I want you to think on that for a minute. Because a lot of the battles that you and I should possibly be fighting with our own flesh, because we refuse to do that, we wind up fighting them with each other. And I don't mean like arm in arm, but against each other. We got to remember where this war is being waged first and foremost. This is why Paul says on Ephesians, this is a spiritual war that's going on. He keeps going. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. A better translation, I believe, of what Paul just said is, but since you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul has hammered on this about 18 times through the letter of Galatians already, and he keeps hammering it. To be filled with the Holy Spirit brings a whole new way of living to our lives. I no longer obey the law so that God will love me. God will accept me. I obey the law because God has loved me and accepted me perfectly in Christ Jesus. Now, this does not mean, oh, okay, my sins have been paid for. Great. I can just sin all I want to. No, no, no. This does not mean that we've been freed to sin. It means we've been freed from sin. That you and I now, because of Christ's death and resurrection, through the power of the Spirit, we can walk in victory over the sin that we struggle with. So understand that when we surrender our lives to Christ and the Spirit of God comes to live within us, He begins to give us new desires. He begins to give us this new power that we did not have. And because of that, we can now through the spirit. We can obey the father. We can imitate the savior and we can follow the spirit. Get it. It's only because of the spirit that we can follow the spirit. When he comes and lives within us, we now can begin to live a life of obedience to the father, of imitating our savior, of following the spirit. But understand this, the war is still going on. 
there is still a war going on with our flesh. We are still tempted to sin. The war still rages. Even though I now have Christ in me, what Paul calls the hope of glory, you know what? I still have Adam in me too. And you know what Paul calls Adam? That the Adam in Paul, the Adam in Brian, wretched man that I am. And so what that means is that Brian, apart from Jesus, it's not just like, "Ah, I'm not that good. Wretched. Don't want any part of that. And that's where Paul says he is without Christ. So this war is still going on. And we have to understand that when we give Adam a foothold, when we allow the flesh to even enter back into the throne room, you know where the flesh wants to be in the throne room? On the throne And the flesh will do anything it can to say, you know, I really would like to take back over your life because I enjoy myself there. And when we begin to do what Paul calls walk in the flesh rather than walk in the spirit, Paul's about to tell us that it becomes painfully obvious. Look with me. Verse 19, Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Paul is saying, look, man, you can tell you're walking in the flesh. These things are evident. Look what he says. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. David Platt and Danny Aiken wrote a commentary on Galatians, and in it, they make the point that this list that Paul gives here, these works of the flesh, they're kind of segmented in four areas. Issues of sexuality, of religion or worship, if you will, relationships and self-indulgence. Now, Galatians here, this list that Paul gives is not exhaustive. And what I mean by that is there are other compilations of vices listed throughout the New Testament. Paul gives several of them. Romans chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And no two lists are identical. And again, this list is not exclusive or exhaustive, but I believe that what Paul's doing here, his main point in giving us these works of the flesh, he's trying to point us toward what Jesus was trying to point toward when Jesus gave a list much like this one. Look with me for a second in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is kind of answering this argument that the Pharisees have come, oh, hey, Jesus, your disciples about what they were eating and when they were eating it. And Jesus makes the point, look, what you put in your mouth is not what ultimately defiles you. And he goes on and he says this, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within 
and they defile a person. What Jesus is making very, very clear here is that you pick a list of the works of the flesh. Take Jesus's in Mark 7. Take Paul's in Galatians chapter 5. It doesn't matter. All of these works of the flesh are symptoms of the greater problem, the heart within us. They're all a symptom of the greater problem, the heart within us. And Paul comes along here and what he's saying is that slavery to sin is the evidence that that heart in this moment is not being surrendered to Jesus. Now again, even though Paul's list here isn't exhaustive or exclusive, for some reason Paul decided to list these things to the Galatians. So I want to address them. That said, I do not want to go through these works of the flesh one by one and us just get into a big hymn hall about what each of one of them means. I'm pretty sure we know what most of them mean. What I want to do is address them in these four areas of sexuality and worship and relationships and self-indulgence. So first of all, Paul says the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, sexual sin. There's nothing, nothing like sexual sin that reveals the incomprehensible depths of our self-centeredness. Nothing. And the reason for that is because sexual sin always, and I will stand by that word to the death, always dishonors and shames a person made in the image of God. Always. Sexual sin always violates the pathway of purity that the Lord has laid out exclusively for marriage. It always violates that. And and the bottom line is sexual sin is diametrically opposed to the heart and character of Jesus, period. And Paul is saying, look, our lives as Christ followers are not about, hey, how close to that line of sin can I get without sinning? The the question is, Lord, how close to your purity can I get? That's what we should hunger and thirst for. Then Paul moves into areas of what we would call worship. He addresses idolatry and sorcery. Now, my guess is, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that we don't deal with a lot of sorcery around here. If you do, hey, don't come after me or something. But when Paul talks about sorcery here to the Galatians, here's what he's saying. Let's address this firsthand. When we look to anything other than God to supply us with what only God can supply us with, that is idolatry. So sorcery, witchcraft, as it's talked about in here, let me just throw this out. If you happen to, let's say, read astrology, what you're doing is you're looking for guidance that only God can give you through something that a moron wrote in a newspaper, by the way. I mean, do the Sudoku puzzle and go on with life. But that's the case. If we look to anything to guide us, if you go out and think that the stars are going to tell you what to do, good luck. They know nothing but to worship the God that created them. 
we struggle more with just trying to find maybe satisfaction in things that only God can supply us with that satisfaction. Money. Or maybe the things that we want that money will get us. Or whatever the case may be. When we look to something other than God to supply us with what only God can supply us with, that's idolatry. When we allow anything or anyone to control our affections, our attitudes, or our behaviors, that's idolatry. Then Paul moves into this fairly lengthy list of things that have to do with our relationships with each other. And I do want to kind of go through this list kind of quickly and and make sure we have some definitions because I think at times we'll read something like this and we read a word and we're like, I don't know what that word is, so I guess I'm exempt from that one. Nope, don't get a free pass. Um, I I have not said to anyone lately, I sure have enmity toward him. I, I don't say that word. But now bitterness, we know that word, don't we? We do. Paul says here, the works of the flesh are enmity. That's bitterness. Strife, that we toil against one another. Jealousy. Now, let me say this. I think at times we go, jealousy and envy. I get those two mixed up. Well, guess what? You're in luck. They're both on the list, so they're both covered here. Okay? Jealousy and envy. Fits of anger or rage. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. You read all of these, and here's what you begin to figure out. Every one of these that Paul has listed, they're all rooted in selfishness, self-centeredness, and entitlement. All of these things that Paul listed here, what they do is they potentially divide the people of God. They go to war against the unity and love that Christ calls us to have. And remember what that unity is. John, Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35. He said, here's a new commandment I'm giving you to love one another, which really wasn't new. But then he goes on as if to say like, and I know you guys aren't really understanding what I'm saying, so let me clarify. The world will know that you are mine by the way that you love each other. The world will look and go, oh my gosh, they must be Christ followers because of how they they love one another. And these things go to war against that. And so Paul says, when these are present in your lives and in your midst, you are not walking by the spirit, you are walking in the flesh. And then he ends by addressing issues of self-indulgence, drunkenness. You know, every once in a while we think, I just got to go a little crazy. Uh, no, you don't actually. Because here's the deal. If anything other than the spirit of God has control over your life, your appetites, if we're being controlled by anything other than the spirit of God, then we are not walking in the spirit. We're walking in the flesh. And then Paul concludes by giving this warning. If you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you hear that and you go, no, wait a minute, time out. Are you saying that if I get angry, like I'm done, I'm off the team, I'm out? No, remember the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter just got through saying in Romans, this conflict and war is still going on within me because yes, I have Christ, but I also still have old me as well. And there's a war being raged. And there are times, 
Hopefully there are often times when you and I, we realize through conviction of the spirit, I've sinned against God. And we understand that he says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you come and you confess and you repent. Lord, I don't want to walk in the muck of that anymore. Show me how to walk. Show me how to live. And he will. What Paul is saying is that if these things characterize your life, you are walking away from the character of Jesus Christ. If these things make up your life, if this is how you just walk on a nonstop basis, then you're walking away from the character of your Lord. If you truly have the Spirit of God within you, if you and I truly have the Spirit of God within us, we will not go on just walking in sin because the Spirit within us says, I don't want any part of that. I think if we go back to Jesus' illustration in John chapter 5, we might could put it this way. You might look like an apple tree, but what you are is you're a dead tree with apples tied to it. Because we know the difference. The apple tree is giving life and it's bearing fruit. The dead tree is just adorning some fruit to appear a certain way. Paul says if we're following Christ and we're walking in the spirit, our lives will birth these things. Or let's go back to our own illustration. You may be a light bulb, but you're just hanging from a string. And we all know that that light bulb is absolutely worthless until it's connected to the power. This is where Paul turns the corner. And he says, this is what it looks like to walk in the flesh. But now let's talk about what happens when we walk by the Spirit. Look with me, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, and we're not going to sing. I know some of you just can't read this without singing that song. But let's just read it together and not miss anything. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want you to take note of the fact that Paul does not use the word fruits. I think we've often maybe had an image in our head when we've read these verses, heard these verses, sung that song, that it's like Jesus is making a fruit salad, you know, and there's strawberries and pineapples and blueberries and everything we like. And and there's just a big fruit salad being made with our lives. That's not the image that Paul gives. It's not the one Jesus gives either because he said you'll bear much fruit. Paul comes along and says, here are the fruit of the spirit. And here's why all of these characteristics collectively working together, that's the fruit of the spirit. All of these characteristics collectively working together in our life, those describe what we call Christ likeness. And Paul says that all of these, all, all of this fruit should be manifested, it should be raised up, it should be birthed out of our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now I want to talk for just a, a couple minutes about something that Paul doesn't say here in Galatians, but we're going to tie it together because I believe it's relevant. When you read the New Testament, you also find what we call the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. Has anyone in here ever taken a spiritual gifts inventory or a spiritual gifts test? Come on now, raise your hand up. Okay, a few people in here. So all of us, if, if the Spirit of God has come on into our life, He has placed gifts within us, and they are for the purpose of serving and building up the rest of the body. All right? Some of these gifts are things like pastor shepherding, okay? Hospitality, administration, helps or serving other people. The gift of prophecy, which is not foretelling the future. Uh, it is boldly proclaiming the truth. Uh, the gifts of leadership, teaching, uh, gifts of exhortation and encouragement, gifts of wisdom and discernment, gifts of generosity, and last but definitely not least, the gift of mercy. Well, I want to share some things with you this morning. First of all, the first time I ever took a spiritual gifts inventory was 1991 on a leadership retreat at Texas Tech University. And since that time, that was 25 plus something years ago, I guess, I've easily taken 10 or more of these things. Every time I've ever taken a spiritual gifts inventory, there are certain things that have always been the same. For instance, the dominating gift in my life from 1991 till right now has always been prophecy. Always. If you could score a 20, I would score a 19 or a 20. Right behind that would probably be pastor shepherding, leadership, and discernment. Those would be like a 16, 17. It does, I could take one right now and it would be like that. But now... Let me share with you what is just as eye-catching, head-scratching, perplexing. Every time I have ever taken one of these tests, you know where the gift of mercy was? Zero. Not even a one. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I know how to manipulate the test now. I mean, you, figure, you take 10 of them, you know how, to, well, I got to answer this one for my score to be good. You know, I can't even fake getting mercy <laughs> on it. It just, it won't work. And so for probably 10, 12, 13 years of my life, what this became was, and I could not have told you this during that time because I didn't know this, but I know now this became my license to be a jerk. Really did. And here's what I can tell you now, kind of looking back in my rearview mirror, is I think that my thought process was, well, God didn't give me any mercy. I guess I don't need to show any. But let me explain why that's wrong, unbiblical thinking. Um, see, there's probably a few people in this room that have the gift of hospitality. We don't all have it, okay? But that doesn't mean that those of us who don't have the gift of hospitality can say, you know, I really don't want you in my house, so get on out. <laughs> No, we are called to greet one another, to love one another, to share a meal together. That's why we walk in missional community together. 
probably a very small percentage of people in this room have the gift of evangelism. That means that doesn't mean that you and I can go, oh, so I don't have to share the gospel. No, that doesn't mean that at all. It just means they're probably better at it than we are. It's like I've said before, I, I say this about Sue Ann at times. I had a, a pastor, a, a teacher in, in seminary named Dr. Fish. If somehow possibly dogs could come to Jesus, I think Dr. Fish could have led dogs to Jesus. I mean, they'd have just been flocking. Some people have that gift. I don't have that gift. That doesn't exempt me from the call to evangelize. Just because you don't have the gift of mercy, that doesn't mean you don't get to show it. But so, somewhere around 10, 12 years ago, this actually started to wear on me. Like, I'll just tell you, in case any of you ever experiment or think about, I think about coming a jerk. Uh, It starts to be exhausting. It really does. And one day all of this changed. And here's how. One day we're, our family gets in the car and we're going to go to Lowe's. And we're driving to Lowe's. We're driving on Maple Street in Wichita, Kansas. And up ahead I see Mama Duck and all her little ducklings crossing the road. And so I stop the Volvo, put the hazards on. I get out and I stop four lanes of traffic to make sure the ducks get across the road. Get back in the car. Way to go, Dad. Feeling pretty good about myself head on to Lowe's. But after like a minute or so, I remember saying to my wife, isn't it really weird that I have all this compassion and mercy for animals, but none for people? And I wasn't really trying to be funny either. And I remember that it was, it it felt like minutes, it was probably seconds later that my wife said something to me that honestly changed my life. She said, Brian, I really don't think you lack mercy. I think that you lack gentleness. You just lack gentleness. And let me explain why that was life-changing. Because all of a sudden this went from being about a gift that I don't have, and believe me when I tell you, I am probably never going to have. It's just not coming to all of a sudden, this was about a seed that I know has been planted in my life. Maybe I just wasn't watering it. Because the word says to me that the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God comes in your life, He will bear this fruit. And so maybe what it is, is it's about me putting myself to death in these areas and saying, Lord, this part of my life, it belongs to you as well. See, go back in here, verse 24, and look at what Paul says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we crucify the flesh, when we wake up, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we crucify the flesh, it's then that we can walk in the Spirit. And see, when the words of Christ begin to rule your mind, when the words of Christ begin to dwell richly within you, and the love of God begins to overtake your heart, it is then that the power of the Spirit will begin to control your life. And you will see the fruit of it. But here's the point, folks. This is why I bring up the whole issue of the gifts of the Spirit. 
if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in your life, you can forget about the gifts. The gifts are meaningless without the fruit. Because you know what you have when you have a person with the gift of prophecy, but they don't have the fruit of love and, and peace and, and, and gentleness. What you have is a jerk that wants to tell everybody the truth. I've lived there. And you know what I want to say to you this morning is if the fruit of the Spirit's being manifested in your life, I can just tell you, you probably won't even need an inventory to tell you what your gifts are. Because you will just begin, as Paul said in Galatians 5.13, you'll just begin to serve other people. If you have the gift of hospitality, you'll go nuts if you don't use it. The fruit of the Spirit. That's the thing we look for. Verse 25, Paul says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Oh, hey, look at my gifts. Let us not provoke one another. Let us not envy one another. Man, I wish I had her gifts. You know what the gifts and the fruit are all about? They're all about Galatians 5.13. Brothers, through love, serve one another. They are all about us being emptied of ourselves and being filled so that we might, through the power of the Holy Spirit, build up the church and advance the kingdom of God. I want to ask you to bow your head and I want to lead you in prayer. I want to encourage you this morning to pray. If, you, if you're a follower of Christ, Lord Jesus, I know that you have paid for my sin. You have atoned for my sin. And so I'm asking you today to help me to walk in victory over my sin. But I want to encourage you to boldly go further than that. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit has probably already been pressing in on where it is maybe right now that the works of the flesh are trying to work their way back onto the throne of your life. And maybe this morning you need to pray, Lord Jesus, I know that you have paid for my sin. You have atoned for my sin. So I am asking you to help me walk in victory over this bitterness in my life. Lord, give me the courage to walk in victory over the lust that I struggle with. God, give me the humility to walk in victory over this anger that's enslaving me. Lord, lead me to walk in victory over my sin, crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. Holy Spirit, will you empty me of myself and fill me with your love? Holy Spirit, will you empty me of myself? Fill fill me with your gentleness. You, You know the area where maybe you're lacking. Maybe you need to cry out to the Lord this morning 
that he would raise up that patience within you, that kindness, maybe that joy. Holy Spirit, empty me of myself and fill me with your love, your peace, your gentleness, your self-control, that I might follow you, that I might follow your leading in every part of my life. We have the opportunity here this morning as we respond to take communion. And taking the bread and the cup is solely for people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. But I want to encourage you this morning, whether you come alone, whether you come with a friend, whether you come with your family, if ever there was a time for us to say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, reveal to me if there's unconfessed sin in my life that I might repent of it, lay it at the foot of the cross and leave it there. If ever there was a time for us to cry out to the Lord to purify our hearts, it's when we take this bread and this cup and remember that Christ laid down his life and shed his blood so that we might walk in victory over that sin. This is why Paul says, don't ever take this lightly. Don't ever recklessly take this bread, this cup. Jesus said, every time you take it, remember. Lord, in this place, in this moment, we ask this morning that you would be exalted. Lord Jesus, that your name would be lifted up. Holy Spirit, that you would have the freedom to do whatever you desire to do in and through our lives. For the sake of your name, Father. ask you to very quietly and prayerfully stand to your feet and respond as the Lord leads you. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.